He's already defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he's going to take occupation of the whole earth, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. How many are excited about that? Amen and amen. Open up your Bibles with me to the last chapter in Luke. If you're excited to learn about power from on high, can I get another amen? Amen. Go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. So glad that you're here. Last week we talked about power from on high. There was so much there. I couldn't stop with just one lesson. Had to come back this week. So we're in a part two. And if you missed it, go back and check it out. And that app has all the goodies there as well as our Facebook page. So stay in touch with us in any way that's easiest for you. Website, Facebook, or app. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus is talking here. This is after the resurrection, but before the ascension. So this is after the resurrection, before the ascension. So he's already been in the grave. He has raised. He is with his disciples now. And this is what he says in verse 49. He says, I am going to send to you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Somebody say power from on high. Thank you. That's what we're talking about today. Power from on high. Now let's go to the book of Acts. Just summarizing some of the things that we learned last week so that we can get into new goodies this week. So if you weren't even here last week, you're going to get a good review right now. Review is for you. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the same author who wrote the gospel of Luke wrote the book of Acts. So he's going to now repeat and add a little bit more detail to what Jesus had said. In verse 8, uh, Jesus is speaking, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Are you in Jerusalem today? No, are you in Judea today, which is like a suburb of Jerusalem? Y'all ain't there, right? You're here. Uh, are you in Samaria? No. Are you in the ends of the earth? Yeah, in comparison to where they were, where they started off in Jerusalem, we're at the ends of the earth right now. And so we are at this time of receiving the power and going to the ends of the earth because has the gospel been preached to all the earth yet? Are there still unreached people groups? There are. You can go to Joshua Project. It's a website. It will show you where the majority of unreached people groups are at. So we're still here at this place. Now, let's see what happens when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 17. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin speaking in other tongues. And then uh, the the uh, Apostle Peter begins to preach, and he says, in the last days, somebody say, in the last days. Thank you. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. So are we still in those days, the last days? So if the last days started... With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for us to be empowered to be witnesses to reach the ends of the earth, then that means the ends of the earth have not been reached, and that means we're still not at Jesus' second coming if we are in the last days. How many believe we're in the last days? So what are we supposed to be doing in the last days? We are supposed to be God's witnesses. We are supposed to be God's end-time witnesses. We are supposed to be the ones who have power to demonstrate the message of Jesus Christ. Now, go down to verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. 
just in case you're wondering, well, maybe uh, the outpouring of the Spirit in a special way with power, tongues, etc., that's only for the first disciples. No, go to verse 39 there, sir, for me. Thank you. It says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. How many times is the word all used there in verse 39? How many times do you see the word all in verse 39? Look at it. Go slow. This promise is for you and your children and for what? All who are far off and for all whom our Lord or God will call. So are you afar off today from Jerusalem? So you're still part of that all, aren't you? And is the Lord still calling people, yes or no? Okay, well then you are a part of this all. So let us summarize as we scroll down, please. Let us summarize now when we go through the book of Acts. We see that the disciples were told not to leave Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high by the Holy Spirit. They then wait in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. They begin speaking in other tongues. And then Peter begins to preach and says that this right now, this outpouring is the beginning of the last days. He then concludes his message by saying the gift that you have seen us receive is for all who are afar off and is for all whom the Lord our God will call. So as they begin to go through the book of Acts, do we see some all added in? We do. We see them go to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. The Holy Spirit comes, they get saved, and they're clothed with power. What happens when they're clothed with power? They begin to speak in tongues. What happened with the first disciples as they were filled in with the Holy Ghost? Let's just go there to, in your scriptures. It's not on the notes, but go to Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, because I just feel like right now I'm skipping that for some of you. I don't want you just to take my word for it. I'll add it in for second service. You guys are always the guinea pigs. Is that Okay. Just want to make sure that you're following the train of thought here. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says what happens when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothed in tongues like as a fire, and it sat on each one of them. So this is like a miraculous sign of like a fire uh, tongue over them, and that's just that part that moves of the fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak what? With other tongues. Somebody say, with other tongues. Thank you. We're in the King James right here, brother. Let's go to the NIV so they can follow along. Uh, just Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and onward. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in what? In other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Thank you, my brother. Let's go back to the notes. Okay. So when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't say they were saved. So sometimes people say this is when they got saved. No. They were not saved. They were saved before this. They were given the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20, which we'll go over. So what happens? They are clothed with power. Somebody say power. They are clothed with power. That is the theme of the book of Luke as he talks about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives power. I don't have time to go through all the references in Luke, but you can see that Luke used that theme because he built it in to the history of the church as he's the author of Acts as well. So here they receive power, but what's unique to them is they have wind and fire. When we now see that the next time the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 10, what do we see? We see tongues and they praise God. Let's just turn there. It's not in the notes, but Acts chapter 10 verse 46. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 46. So you can see Cornelius was a Gentile. He was a person in the Roman army, and he had a, a, a liking towards the Jewish faith. He was known as a God-fearer. That means as a Gentile, he was respecting and honoring the God of Israel. He was rejecting his paganism, and yet he had not become a proselyte. A proselyte. A proselyte. Somebody pronounce that word for me. Proselyte, thank you. He had not converted fully over to Judaism. So Peter gets a vision to come over there and preach to him. Now watch what happens in verse 45. The circumcised believers, this is talking about the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them what? Speaking in tongues and doing what? Praising God. Okay. Now let's go back to our notes. So this is the pattern that we're seeing. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes not for salvation, but for empowerment. When the empowerment comes, what are the things that follow? Tongues, wind, and fire. What happens when the empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes on the, the people there, the Gentiles in Cornelius' house? Tongues and praising God. Now go to Acts chapter 19, verse 6. Acts chapter 19 verse 6 uh, takes away any confusion that this is going to be a regular sign because sometimes people say the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit was for the Jewish believers and that's why they had this miraculous thing called tongues. And then when it comes to Cornelius' house, that's for the Gentile believers. But from that point on, everybody should be covered unless there's alien believers, right? Are you listening? I mean, the whole entire world is broken up to Jew and Gentile, but now... Paul meets Jewish believers who were following John the Baptist. Well, we assume that they are uh, for the most part because uh, John the Baptist was sent to the Jewish people. Uh, let's just go back to verse 1 so everybody can get the context here. It's a little bit unique of what's going on. While Apollos was at Corinth, chapter 19 of Acts, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. Paul then said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they did what? Spoke in tongues and what? Prophesied. Thank you. So let's go back to the notes. Why is this now becoming a pattern in the book of Acts? Because this is what Jesus talked about. Scroll up in the top of the notes to remind everybody, please, of Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in that city until you are clothed with power. Now go down to Acts chapter 2, verse 39, just a little bit more. Thank you in the notes. This promise is for you. The promise of being clothed with power from on high is for you and your children and for all, some may say all, who are afar off, because now it's continuing afar off, and it's never going to stop until the Lord stops calling people for all whom the Lord our God will call. So are you still being called by the Lord today? Are you called to be saved today? Yes, well then you are called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. But because some of you uh, want more evidence of this, let me go and ask, answer some questions. So would you put that up, up there, please? We are to be born of the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit. Somebody say born of the Spirit. Amen. And say baptized in the Spirit. 
Now, some people try to confuse these two then and say they're just one experience. But as I can show you that they were already given the regeneration in John chapter 20 and that in Acts chapter 2 nothing says anything about salvation, I can clearly demonstrate to you that these are two experiences you're supposed to have with the Holy Spirit. These are on our notes. I may not be able to get to all the scriptures, but let us go through it as best as we can. What is the spiritual rebirth or being born of the Spirit? That is a spiritual renewing of your spirit that you were given by God. We are spiritual creatures. And in John chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, we are taught to be born of the Spirit. So let's just go in our notes, please, to John chapter 3, verse 3. We'll start there, and then we'll go to, to 6 and 8. But this is Jesus' teaching in the book of John. Jesus was very clear here that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Now go down to verse 6. For flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So how are we to be born again? Born again of the spirit. Is born again reincarnation? No, born again is something you experience in this life as your spiritual nature is changed. Just as surely as Jesus breathed into us our spirit at creation and made Adam and Eve living souls, we are to be given the spirit again to be reborn in our spiritual nature. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, the spiritual nature died. And we are now born in a dead, separated state from God. That death is a, uh, uh, that death means separation, spirit spiritual death, darkness away from us and God. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You can see it there clearly. So sin makes us dead, but Christ makes us alive, and that is in the spirit. As for you, verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in the ways you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, so is everybody demon-possessed that's not saved? No, but everybody who is not saved is influenced by the spirit of the darkness of this world, of Satan. But those of us who are born again, we are influenced by the Holy Spirit. Please go back to John. So Jesus is saying we are born in a state of death, separated from God under the power of the world, and we must be born again. And you can keep multiple uh, verses up there, please. Uh, we are to be born again and experience a spiritual life. Look at verse 6 again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So the Holy Spirit renews in us His image, the image of God. We become born again. And then what happens to our body? It must die and be resurrected so now that we can have complete, complete perfection in Christ. We were born, uh, excuse me, we were created perfect, body, soul, and spirit, and now we must go back to that. And it starts with the spiritual rebirth, and then when my body dies, my spirit goes to heaven until the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, and then I'm given a new body. Amen? How many believe that? All right, wonderful. Going back to the notes. So that's what it means to be born again. How is somebody born again? We are born again by our faith in Jesus Christ. John 3, 16, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I kind of mixed the NIV with the King James. Thank you for following along with me there. When we see the gospel of John continue, and all of my references here will be in John, just to make it simple, to make it uh, an even thought, like we're following the thought of Jesus in John. We need to be born again. How are we born again? We're born again by our belief in the Son of God. What happens 
when we're born again. We enter the kingdom of God. That's why we should be born again. We want to enter the kingdom of God. Now scroll down, please, so they can see the reference. When were the disciples born again? When were they born again? Go to John chapter 20, verse 22. John chapter 20, verse 22 shows us when they were born again. Now remember, John is the one who introduces us to Jesus' teaching about spiritual rebirth. Don't you think we should take his word for it when he says it happened? Don't you think so? Okay, because some people say this is just like a Benny Hinn thing, and he's an old-school televangelist that liked to breathe on people. Some people think this is just Jesus breathing on them and metaphorically giving them the Holy Spirit, but they technically did not receive it to Acts. But I can't receive that, that uh, translation or interpretation, rather, of this because Jesus in the book of John is very clear about the spiritual rebirth. He then spends two chapters talking about the Holy Spirit in 14 and 16, and then at the end, after his resurrection, before his ascension, during that same time Luke records, he's talking about them waiting for power, we see him tell the disciples that he breathes on them, or or rather, uh, verse 22, he says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive who? Receive who? The the Holy Spirit's not an it, it's a who, don't be confused, come on, receive who? Who? The Holy Spirit. And didn't we just say we believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? There you go. So right here, we, we have really no choice by the book of John but to take it literal. Jesus had been talking about a spiritual rebirth, a regeneration. He had been talking about what the Holy Spirit was going to do in and through them. We know that the Holy Spirit came and rested on a do- like a dove on Jesus. He had the Holy Spirit, and he could give him as he wishes. And so the whole, uh, here it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The only way around this is for, this is for people to say that this was just a metaphor and analogy, something that he was doing like a typology to prepare them for the day of Pentecost. I can't receive that interpretation because in Acts chapter 1 and 2, there is no talk of salvation. There is no talk of regeneration. Everything now in that conversation is about receiving power from on high that the Holy Spirit's going to not regenerate you. He's going to give you power. So who is he speaking to? He must be speaking to those who are already born again. In other words, by the time they come into the upper room, Pentecost, they're spiritually born again. They're like your Baptist friend. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, they went from being Baptist to Bapticostal. They got filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. That's what we believe. So if you're Baptist, get baptized again in the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk more, though. Go back to the notes for me, please. We're not going to force him on you. Keep on going now. Now let's go into the questions about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So people go, okay, well, are you saying that there can be a Christian that has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes. But does that mean that they are not baptized into the into Christ, into the body of Christ? No, because that word baptism is used in many different ways. It just means immersed. When you are born again, you are baptized into Christ. You are submersed into Christ in his body. So you are not a lesser than kind of Christian. But you are the kind of Christian that is what the disciples were like before the outpouring came. 
Now, if you want to try to be a little, you know, a little bit sassy and be like, well, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like the disciples did. Okay, well, then did you do what the disciples did? Well, no, no, I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't prophesy. I didn't praise God. I didn't do any of that. But, but I, just, I just received it. Okay, why is it through the entire book of Acts, a pattern follows when they receive this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when you got it, it just looked like normal everyday function of church or whatever you were doing before that. See, you can't call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can say that you're baptized in Christ, that you're baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. That's Romans chapter 6. Galatians talks about this. Colossians talks about this, that we're baptized into the death and the burial and the body of Christ, etc. But you can't talk about biblically being baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you see the evidence and have the experience the disciples did. And so that's why we are Pentecostal in our nature here or in our experience here because we believe that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. He does that in us. So what is it? It is an empowerment to preach the gospel. That's what Acts 1.8 says. Let's just go back to the top of the note so you can see it. I'm not making it up. It's right there. He said, you shall receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It doesn't say you shall receive regeneration. Is this a born-again text? No, born-again texts have different words, salvation, regeneration, justification, etc. Is that found in this text? No, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, let's go back down to those questions. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's not salvation. It is a second work of the Holy Spirit to endue you with power. How does one become baptized in the Holy Spirit? By receiving it when you're prayed for. Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 14 is the only place where no signs or wonders are shown when they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they are implied. So it says here that when the people of Samaria got saved and water baptized, that the disciples came down to them to give them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse uh, 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, so are they saved? Yeah, they're saved. They've already been water baptized. You can read up earlier. They sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in Jesus' name. Now you run into a problem right here if you say this is for salvation. So they baptized people who were not saved, in other words. No, what Acts is saying here, they had not received the Holy Spirit in the way that we've been learning through the book of Acts, which is the baptism, the empowerment. Do you understand? Because some people want to say, no, they're not saved here yet. They don't literally have a regenerated spirit until the apostles lay hands on them. When have you ever seen in the Bible an apostle laying hands on somebody to be born again? That does not even make sense to the teachings of Scripture. The only thing that can be implied here by the laying on of hands is for them to receive the power that the apostles just received in the previous verses. So they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So some of you might, might say, that is salvation. Okay, let's go along with you. You got saved. But now watch. When Simon saw that the Spirit, verse 18, was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability so that on everyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. 
So I talk to the Mormon, the Baptist, the Catholic. I talk to everybody the same way, even though I know some of them are saved and are not. But I love to expose this way of thinking right here. If an apostle laying on hands, receiving the Holy Spirit, looks like what y'all do in St. Tom's Church or St. Bartholomew's Church or uh, Moody Baptist Church, why is it here a musician like David Blaine wanted to pay for what happened next? Are you listening? You received the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going home. Nobody's paying for that. What happened was all the things, go back to the notes, please. What happened was all of the things, and scroll up to the chart. What happened was all of the things that we had been seeing here, it just doesn't mention them. So we don't know, but there was some kind of an explosion, boom, that came when hands were laid on those folks. And when he saw that, he was like, man, can I get some money so that when I lay hands on people, they do this, they do that, they prophesy, they speak in tongues? Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Why would, a music, why would a magician pay for money what the Catholics do? I can do that. Take this, lay hands on that, be blessed in the Holy Spirit. Father, what do I got to pay money for that? He's not stupid. People back then weren't stupid. He could do the same thing. He's a magician. I keep saying the word mu- musician and magician together. Lord, help me. Why are those words sounding so familiar today? He is a magic person. He's a person who practices... I did it. And I get paid to talk for a living. Please pray for me. Oh, my goodness. It's hard up here. I need the anointing, right? He was a person who practiced magic and trickery. And he said, when I see this, man, I want that power. And isn't that what hypnotists try to do? They try to imitate the power of God to influence people to say things and do different things, that they're under the power of the hypnotizer, etc. You see here, the gospel uh, writer Luke shows us in the book of Acts that every time the Holy Spirit is poured out, it's already on people who are saved and signs and wonders follow. Let's keep going to answer some more questions. When we look to the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we see that sometimes people get confused about whether or not it's their gift, okay? So let's go back, scroll up a little bit, please, right here. So sometimes people say, why should a person be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Because they may go, that's not my gift. You know, this is not something that I really want to do. I just want to go to church. I don't want any of that weird stuff. You guys can do that. That's not for me. Well, let me ask you something. You want to be obedient to Jesus? Do you think Jesus is your Lord or is he just like your waiter and you tell him what to do? If he's your Lord, he tells you what to do. He commanded you to be given power. No, I don't need it. No, I don't need it. Listen to me. Yes, you do need it. You do need the power of God. Some people think it's like, you know, uh, like how we do conceal carry. And I'm, I'm one of those pa- pistol-packing preachers, amen. Sometimes I see uh, churches, they have the no-gun sign there, and I'm like, dear Lord, have mercy. You're basically saying to any shooter, just send us home to Jesus. Here, if you come and do that, you made our dreams and fantasies come true. We've got 14 different plans and ways to do this. You have no idea how much target practice we've done, how many setups and different ways we have thought about you coming in this room. We're ready for you to send you to Jesus. Bless them, Lord. Send them to heaven. Help them to repent, Jesus. Are you listening? 
But some people think it's like conceal carry. Like, ah, no, nah, that's not for me. You, you know, the police can do that. You know, the Holy Spirit, that's not for me. Someone else can do it. No, you better need that. You better receive the power because every day we are being attacked by spirits and principalities. Every day there's something going on in your family, in your community. You need this power. Amen. Even if you don't believe every uh, jot and tittle that I laid out today, because there's a hundred different ways for people to understand this. I'll be honest with you. It can get complicated. But I would just say to reduce it down to its most simplest thing. Do you want power? Do you want God to use you in miraculous ways? Then ask for him to do it. Amen? I believe this is the most systematic way. I believe that this explains it the best. This is the way of like the assemblies of God, the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world, and others that have come from the assemblies as I have, though we're non-denominational. I believe this is the best way to explain it. But even if you're, you're somewhere lost in the details, all you have to do is say, Lord, give me your power. And if you start speaking in tongues, don't forbid it. Let God bring it through you. Amen? But that's why we say it's a part of the evidence. Okay, now let's go down to further questions that people ask. They say, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit still for today? Maybe that's just what Peter did. Maybe that's just what the apostles did. But that's not for today, is it? Well, we've just went over it a bunch of times in 39. We don't need to do it again in Acts chapter 2. He says, for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. That settles that argument. And as long as we're in the last days until he comes back, this is for everybody. For the tribulation saints who are left behind, I don't know if you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I know you're going to get beheaded, so, so you better accept Jesus now and take the first train out of here, okay? But I do thank God for people who go back and listen to these messages. We still love you, but we partying in heaven now. You should have listened. Hello, are you, are you tracking with me? Okay, but yeah, I believe this is in the church age. I believe this is before we're raptured. I know for a fact that it is still for today. And I've spent many uh, uh, more, art, more time on articles and giving you proof, but I think Acts 2.39 answers it for today. Number two, uh, this is where some Christians go back and forth. You got the charismaniacs, I mean the charismatics uh, versus the Pentecostals. I grew up in a charismatic church, a vineyard church, and they're a little bit different. They say that once you're baptized in the Holy Spirit by simply asking God, some may speak in tongues, some may prophesy, but there will be something that happens, okay? Not just fall out, go boom, not just something that you shake, but there will be some kind of an expression, not necessarily tongues. The reason that Pentecostals still hold to the initial evidence being tongues, that's one of our beliefs, is because of the pattern I showed you in Acts. I know of no other pattern to show you other than tongues. So how would you know, according to the book of Acts, that you are experiencing what they're experiencing? Then I would say, have the gift of tongues, which is uh, in, in Greek, uh, glossolalia, which means other languages. Now let's make a little moment, uh, take a moment here because someone may be like, Pastor, I'm with you all the way up into this point, like everything you're saying, and that it may even be for me. But aren't the tongues supposed to be understood because in Acts chapter 2, when it's first poured out, the others understand their tongues. So then I ask them, do you speak in tongues that other people understand? And most of the time they go, no. And I go, why are you using that as an argument anyway? You don't even have that. I have spoken in tongues and people understand me. You want to know why? Because I speak in tongues all the time. You don't even speak in tongues, but you're using that as an argument against us that we should only do it, like only do it if somebody else understands it. And I'm saying to you, the only way someone else can understand it is if you're willing to speak it from the very beginning. 
And so get you some, and if somebody understands it, good. If they don't understand it, good. But you need to get it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues. That's the it, the gift of tongues. He is a person. Follow my train of thinking here. So now uh, let's just clarify this. How do I know I've received it? I will speak in languages I have not learned. And how many have heard this in a wedding before? Even though I speak in tongues of angels and... No, y'all don't know the verse. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Y'all tripping. How many times have you heard 1 Corinthians read in a wedding? Come on, have you heard that read in a wedding? If I speak in the tongues of or of angels. Oh, you mean angels aren't walking around in heaven going, Que paso, que onda, what's up, how you doing? You mean they actually have their own languages? Yeah, like in Lord of the Rings, the elves have theirs and the dwarves have theirs. Yeah, angels have languages too. So if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, etc. But now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As he continues into teaching us about the Holy Spirit, look at verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to, does not speak to, man, I wish I had somewhat of a Steve Harvey audience up in here. Can you guys help me do stuff? Is that his name, Steve Harvey in Chicago? Okay, you know how they applaud when they ask him to applaud and all of that? Okay, so let's look at the verse right here, verse 2. We're reading the Bible today. How many came to church to read the Bible? Okay, those big numbers are chapters. These little numbers here are verses. Everybody with me on that? Just, I don't know, maybe you don't get it. Okay, now we're going to read. Just follow along. You don't have to read out loud, but when I get to a spot where I stop, that's when I want you to help me read, okay? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to... Ah, there we go. Does not speak to... But to God. Oh, I thought tongues was always supposed to be understood. No, what we find out, like in verse 5 says and onward, is that when the tongue is to people, it must be understood either by it being a known language or by it being interpreted. Now, sometimes people say, well, language, uh, the tongues are always known languages. Then why is a spiritual gift called interpretation? If I could learn Spanish while you've been given the gift to speak Spanish, I don't need a spiritual gift to understand Spanish. The very fact that there is a spiritual gift called the interpretation of tongues is because not every tongue is going to be in a known language that someone else can understand. Some tongues are going to be the tongues of angels when nobody understands. Do you know how Gabriel talks to Michael? You know, do you know the language they talk? And like I said, we know that it's not the languages of the earth. Okay, going back to the notes, please. I'm losing some of you in the, the details. Just speak in tongues, amen? And we're not making it weird here. We don't do this like repeat after me garbage, you know? I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Toyota. Or I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a whatever. Hyundai. I bought a, I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Hyundai. Now say that real quick. I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Hyundai. That we're not playing that game here. We're not playing like you repeat after me, none of this nonsense. If you believe like me that the Holy Spirit is real, he is, he is the third person of our triune God, do you believe that he's going to give you a gift? If you believe all that, then let him do it. Let's put it all on God. Don't do it for me. Don't do it to please people. Okay, can I hear an amen? So what if I don't think speaking in tongues is my gift? That's what we just were going over before. But now, now let's hit it in detail. Some are like, well, it's listed in the gifts, but, I'm, but you're telling me I'm supposed to receive it. Understand this. The reason why tongues and interpretation of tongues is listed in the gifts. Let's go there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to show you there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
And sometimes, uh, you know, because the Bible says not everyone does all of the gifts, sometimes people say, well, maybe that's not my gift, speaking in tongues. Go to verse 4. So, uh, verse 7, rather. So now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. For to one there is given the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another tongues and interpretation of tongues. These are all the working of the same Spirit, and he, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, if we go back to the notes, please. Sometimes people ask a good question. They go, well, it sounds like there that the nine gifts of the Spirit are not always in operation in all of our lives and that the Holy Spirit kind of determines how we're going to be used in those nine gifts. That's how it reads, isn't it? Are you guys with me? That's how it reads. I agree with that. So somebody might ask then, well, what if my gift is not tongues? Here's where we run into the problem. They're not understanding the difference between the gift of tongues being used with an interpretation for the body and the tongues as a prayer language between you and God, okay? So don't be uninformed, as the Bible says. Do not be ignorant is another way of saying it. So go back to 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll highlight these passages to you so you can see it. Here, for anyone, verse 2, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to uh, people but to God. Is that the gift of tongues with interpretation that he just talked about in verse 12? No, because the one here is not giving a message. They're not giving a message. That's why it says in verse 5, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather you prophesy. And even before that, in verse one, uh, verse 4, anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, it says here uh, at the end of verse 5, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So when I'm speaking in tongues between me and God, am I edifying you? No. So if someone gets a prophecy in the church and speaks a word to you as the voice of God, sharing with what God is thinking at that moment about us to say and do, that person is greater. Why? Because they're giving a message to you. But I'm just sitting here speaking in tongues between me and God, not people. And so Paul is saying here that the moment you want to be on the same level with the one who prophesies as you're speaking in tongues, the moment you want your tongue to be a message to somebody you better be sure that it's from the Holy Spirit and it comes with an interpretation. That's why the one who prophesies is greater than the one who's just sitting talking to God. So think about it like this. We have horizontal, uh, vertical tongues and then we have horizontal tongues. Vertical is between me and God. Horizontal is a message to you from God that needs to be interpreted. Does everybody get that? Okay, verse 6, three of you got it. For you three, we're, we're, we're pressing on. Amen? Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? See, if I come to you, I come to you speaking in tongues, what good is it? So, so much for this Acts chapter 2 interpretation that says tongues is always known languages because it would be good if they did what they did in Acts chapter 2, wouldn't it? In Acts chapter 2, it said they understood them and what they were saying. But here it says, what good is it for me to come? You won't understand what I'm saying unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or of instruction. 
So verse 9, verse 9, so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongues, how will anyone know what you are saying? Verse 10, undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is foreigner to me. So it is with you. So you're eager for the gifts. Try to excel in the ones that build up the church. So he's saying that some of you guys are getting around each other, and all you're doing is going, you're speaking in tongues. You're going all over the place, and nobody understands what you're saying. Now, that is not my tongue, and I will not make fun of my tongue or use it as an example, but I'm giving you that kind of like weird sound like the banshee, you know. So he's saying, you guys are like looking at each other going, be blessed. And, and he's saying, what's the point of that? Nobody understands you. You're not doing that to God. You're doing that for people, and the people think you're weird. That's why verse 13, it says, for this reason, the one who speaks in the tongue should pray that they may interpret. Why? Because they are to speak to the people. But if I'm speaking to God, it's okay because I'm edifying myself. He's not contradicting what he just said in verse 2. When I'm vertically praying to God, I don't need to interpret it. I'm speaking the mysteries there. But when I'm talking to you, it's better that I say a few words in your understanding than keep speaking in spiritual tongues. That's why he says if you're going to give a message in tongues, you better pray for the other spiritual gift to interpret it. Otherwise, stay between you and God. And that's exactly what he's going to say in just a moment. Now look at this. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Sometimes people say, oh, it sounds like Babel. I don't understand it. You're not going to understand it. It is your spirit praying through your body. Your mind is unfruitful. That's why so often I pray in tongues when I am stressed in my mind and I don't understand what's going on in my life. I let the Holy Spirit with groans and words that I don't know pray through me between me and God and it edifies me. Do you understand? Just go back to verse 2 of chapter 14. It's like a few verses up. I want you to see it clearly here. It says, you do not speak to people, but you speak to God. And it says, for no one understands him, they utter what? mysteries. They utter mysteries. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue, what? Edifies themselves. What does the word edification mean? Build up yourself. So when I'm just speaking tongues to God, do I understand it? No. My mind is unfruitful, but my spirit, hallelujah, is being built up in the things of God. Do I understand it? No, the Bible says it is a mystery. Go back down to the passage where we were at. Go back down. Thank you. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? Let's just pause here for a second. Some of you are a little bit bored right now and weirded out. Is it my fault your church you went to before this forgot about the Holy Spirit and did everything without him? I'm actually teaching you how to use the Holy Spirit and be used by the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, this is so weird. This is so different. Yeah, because we're actually supposed to do this stuff. And, and you guys, are a lot of you looking at me like I'm crazy because you went to a church that didn't do any of it. Shame on them, not shame on me for explaining it. And at the end of the day, you may not agree, but at least I took time to explain this. You can, I mean, seriously, people have come from other countries, have gone to our churches here, and they're like, it's amazing what you guys do without the Holy Spirit. Man, you got smoke up on the stage. You got the people shouting and clapping. But you never have prophecy. You never have tongues and interpretation of tongues. Nobody ever really gets healed. Demons are never cast out. That's amazing you guys do all of this like Vegas. But have you thought about introducing the Holy Spirit to the party? Have you thought about sending him an invitation? 
So I just want to pause right here because sometimes when I feel like I'm going into this depth and I'm reading the room, I sometimes feel like you guys think I have just left the normal world of church and I am somewhere off into the Lord of the Rings science fiction. We're playing make-believe now. I am literally reading to you the black and white of the Bible, the same black and white of the Bible that tells us to go preach, to go evangelize, to, to do all these other things. It's literally telling us how to pray in the Spirit. He, Paul, is taking time to teach us how to be clothed with power. So he says here, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind doesn't. Why? Because I'm edifying myself vertically between me and God, and it's a mystery. Now, what does he say here? So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. So when I pray vertically to God, Father... Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. I'm going to pray using my words. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Father, Father, you know, in Jesus' name, I'm praying with my understanding. But what am I also going to do? I'm also going to pray with my spirit. You know, I'm also going to have a connection there of a spiritual language that I'm not going to understand. You're not going to understand, and it's going to be a mystery. Sometimes somebody else might. Sometimes it might be a time for me to use that tongue to give you a message with an interpretation. I don't know, but most of the time I'm going to be in a space of prayer. I'm going to be using it between me and God, and I'm not going to understand. My mind's not going to understand, but my spirit does. But I will sing, and it says, I will sing with my spirit. So now it even gets a little bit weirder. Now we're not just going to sing, you know, amazing grace. Now you're going to sing with your tongue. I will sing with my spirit. <laughs> Whatever goofy sound I can make right now. And you've been in services, haven't you, where people have sung in the Holy Spirit? It's a sound. It's a melody of heaven. He says, I'm going to sing in my spirit, but I'm going to also sing with my understanding. How many of you have sung with the spirit before? You just let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you. Maybe it's a simple melody. Now, he says, but when I come to you, I'm going to make sure that there's an interpreter because I'm not going to speak to you in the tongue. Now, let's go all the way down to the conclusion of the matter in chapter 14 here. Keep on, oh, in verse 18, he's like, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. But if I come to church, I'm going to make sure I have intelligent words. How many words have I spoken to you in tongues now? Not, the, not my real tongue. Not the, uh, I'm not talking about the goofy one, but have I spoken any words to you in tongues today? No, but have I spoken in tongues between me and God? Yes. So when I come to, I speak in tongues more than all y'all. I don't know about this congregation. We got some crazy ones up in here. Y'all be speaking in tongues every day, all the time, hour after hour after hour. You just over and over and over and over. That's okay. Do it. Do it. Be filled with the Spirit. Amen. So I don't know about some of y'all. I don't, I don't count how long I speak in tongues, but Paul was pretty confident. I speak in tongues more than all of you. But when I'm with you, I give you more words, more intelligible words, right? So I've spoken in tongues today, but if you're weighing them, I have given you way more words in English than what I have spoken in tongues, okay? Now, go all the way down, all the way down here. keeps on explaining it. Order and worship. Keep going down, good sir. He talks about how to do the tongues when it's a message. Okay, now watch this right here. Uh, go up a little bit for me, please. Verse 39. Therefore, my brothers... And sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not what? Forbid speaking in tongues. So if somehow you have come to the end of the book, uh, of the chapter of this book, and your conclusion is, well, I guess we shouldn't speak in tongues then, you have missed the entire point. I guess it's weird. It's going to scare everybody. Don't do it. You just missed the whole point. 
So when I go, I'm serious, good churches, Christian people, I love them. If I go to Moody right now, they're going to be like, don't you be bringing in that Holy Ghost. And I'm like, Moody, that's Moody. Why aren't you going to let me speak in tongues here? The Bible says the number one thing you should have gotten out of Paul. <laughs> just going to go by that real quick now. I got a little hood on that. But seriously, man, I'm going to be like, Moody, what's wrong with you? And they're going to be like, Acts chapter this and, and 1 Corinthians this. And I'm like, well, just at the end of it, the thing that we're supposed to get is don't forbid it. Now the first thing you're telling me, the Pentecostal brother, because I was going to go to their cemetery, I mean seminary, the first thing they wanted me to know is not around these parts. You won't be doing that. And I thought to myself, how in the world, like out of everything you're supposed to get from this chapter, you walk away with, let's not do it at all. That's not what you're supposed to walk away from the chapter understanding. It, it's, it's seriously, it's like imagine a chapter all about race car driving, and this is how you race car drive, and then this is how you do pit stuff, and this is how you do this, and it gets crazy sometimes, so don't run over the other dude that's trying to help you out the mechanic, but make sure you always, you know, have the gears right and all this, and whatever you do, don't forbid driving race cars, and then you meet somebody that says, first thing I want to tell you is I don't drive race cars. Dude, the entire chapter is about spiritual gifts. The entire chapter is about how to use them and how not to use them and then how to do it right. And if you get weird, how to pull somebody back in so they don't become a, a granola Christian, a fruit nut in a flake. Here's how you do it. And then, like I said, people at the end of it go, well, I guess we won't do it then. Okay. That's not us here. We're, we want to be like the book of Acts. We want to be like the churches that were endued with power. Can I hear an amen? Back to the notes, please. So this is why you should reject the idea, well, it's not just my gift. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. Gifts are then given after that. And even though all gifts are available to you, and you may not always have a message and interpretation, you are to speak in tongues and not to forbid it. And the last thing is, what is the purpose of the speaking in tongues? Well, you just go through the Bible. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does he say it's for? Power to be a witness. Acts chapter 2, verse 11, they're glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 14, 22, a sign to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, edify yourself. Romans 8, 26, to intercede for the lost. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, to pray and sing to God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, for spiritual warfare. You want to do any of that for Jesus? Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Hallelujah. We're so excited. Verse 5. How can I know for sure? This is like somebody's really like following me here, and you're like, you're with me. Just stay right there. Good. So don't give, them, don't give them the last part here. Stay right there. So somebody's like, man, I feel this, Pastor. I love it. I want to experience this. I want, I want the Holy Spirit to baptize me in power. But how do I know I won't get the spirit of chupacabra? How do I know that something bad won't happen to me if I pray for the Holy Spirit? Maybe the spirit of chupacabra will come on me and then take me over. And then instead of a beautiful tongue, I've got a I'm demon possessed now. I went to this church and I got a spirit and I'm demon possessed. How do you know this will not happen? Go to Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Specifically talking to Christians. Specifically talking to those of us who are already born again. We are told that we are not to worry about our spiritual life. 
when it comes to asking God for the power of his spirit. Remember Luke is the same one who wrote being clothed from power on high and wrote the book of Acts. He has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit, and he's just talked about what God is going to do upon the earth, etc. Scroll up a little bit in uh, chapter 11 there so people can see that you're going to have a prayer life, that you're going to be able to seek God and do all of these things, okay? And now look what he says here at the end. He says, which of you fathers, Luke 11, 11, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? So he makes it plain here. Like if, you're ask, if your children are asking you for food, are you going to give them a snake? Of course not. If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No, of course not. And you also know that Luke is the one that says we will have power to trample on what? Snakes and scorpions. So this analogy of being given a snake or being given a scorpion is of an evil spirit. So he's, he's making that clear here that just as bad as a snake would be for my two-year-old. I mean, the poison and just the nastiness of a scorpion coming to a two-year-old's life, you know, would be crazy. He's saying, you don't have to worry about evil spirits. You don't. Look at verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, it's like, thanks for calling us out in the illustration, Jesus. Even though you're evil, he like just points it right back to them in the middle of that. I love how Jesus talked like that. So different than Joel Osteen and most preachers here today. You know, Jesus is like, he's not even giving them the credit right now that they're, they're not evil. He's like, no, you're still evil, by the way, but I'm just going to go on with my illustration. If you then, though you're evil, you're crazy and you're evil, you know how to give good gifts, plural. Notice that, plural gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So should we be afraid? of encountering the Holy Spirit as Christians. No. Uh, band, would you come up? And uh, just where you're seated right now, I know I made it a little bit comedic. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. I was trying to maybe help you understand. But let's get into an attitude of prayer before we close out. And focus our life on what we've just heard today, that Jesus wants to empower us with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. Let's just start there. And if that's you today, just where you're seated, would you ask the Holy Spirit to empower you? Just right now. We'll talk about uh, praying for you to have tongues or speaking in tongues in just a moment. But right now, just in your heart, if you believe you're in the last days and you want to see God's power come upon you, you want to experience him so that you can be a witness, would you just ask him right now to do that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Empower us, Father, in the name of Jesus to be witnesses upon this earth, to see signs, wonders, and miracles, to not be weird, but to be wired into heaven, to not be pathetic, but be prophetic. Oh, God, make us your disciples today. Just in your heart right now, if there's any sin or unbelief, ask the Lord to remove it or confess it. Say, Lord, I'm sorry if I've been in sin lately. I'm sorry if I've held back my heart from you. Or if you're dealing with unbelief because you're distracted, say, Lord, forgive me for being distracted and my mind's on all these things. I focus on you right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Would you ask him to do what only he said he would do? This is the job of the Holy Spirit. Fill you up 
pour himself on you today. Like oil was poured on the priest, the Holy Spirit wants to pour himself on you and in you and through you, surrounding every part of you. few moments right now, a few moments. If you're not saved from the communion time, get saved now. Confess Jesus as Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you a new creation. But I'm assuming most of you are saved. And those of you who are saved, let him know today, Holy Spirit, I want to be baptized with power. I want you to come in me and through me. I want you to indwell me. And then now let's just stand up and lift up our hands and pray out what the Holy Spirit gives us right now. Those of you who are baptized already in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, have a vertical prayer right now between you and God. You and God right now just begin to speak in other tongues. Those who just maybe prayed that prayer for the first time, search your heart. Listen to the voice of God. Do you hear sounds and syllables that you have not learned before? Do you sense groanings in your heart? Let them out right now in the name of Jesus. Let those groanings out in the name of Jesus. Pray right now to your Father with words that you don't understand. Speak forth mysteries from the things of God. Build up your spirit right now in the name of Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This is for you and for your children. This is for all whom the Lord our God will call. Power of the Holy Spirit. Evidence by speaking in other tongues. Those who start to get melodies, stay on one key for me, please, brother. One note. Those who begin to get melodies, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice and sing. Sing in the Spirit. Just like I can sing with my understanding, I want to sing in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Jesus, more of your Spirit. gifts be released in this place. Let the spiritual gifts be released right now. Even as some of you are praying and worshiping, ask the Lord, the Bible says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Ask the Lord to pour out on you gifts of the Spirit, gifts of healing to pray for the sick, gifts of discerning of spirit to cast out demons, gifts of words of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy miraculous power in the name of Jesus just because this has been abused doesn't mean we're not going to use it today we're going to use the gifts of the spirit we're going to be a generation of world changers and history makers and roof breakers we're going to be those that the Bible said will do the signs and wonders hallelujah hallelujah pour out your gifts Pour out your gifts. Altar workers, would you begin to come now? Pour out your gifts, Holy Spirit, on each and every one of us. Thank you, Jesus, that you haven't left us in the last days with times of chaos and spiritual warfare without your power. You have empowered us in these wicked and evil times. You have enabled us to do 
your works upon the earth. Hallelujah. During the time of Moses, he was given the Holy Spirit and the elders began to prophesy. But some of those who were asked to be at the meeting didn't come. And they began to prophesy. But they weren't at the original meeting. And the other ones got a little jealous and they said, Moses, these people who were supposed to be here to get the gift of prophecy, they're prophesying, but they weren't here. Should we tell them to stop? And Moses said, oh, to God that all of his people were prophets. All the prophets had longed for the day where the Spirit is not just given to a certain few. They longed, Joel said in those last days, the Spirit would come on sons and daughters, men and women, young and old. They were looking for a time where they didn't need a physical temple, but we, the body of Christ, would be the spiritual temple and the Holy Spirit would come on all of us. We would be priests and prophets unto God. This is that hour. This is that time. As we get ready to dismiss, we don't want to manipulate you, but we invite you to come and join with us. We'll pray for you. We'll lay hands on you. If your situation is different than what I preached on, let us pray for whatever you're going through. But please don't leave out here until you've been clothed with power from on high. Don't leave out here the same way that you came because there's an enemy against you. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible said that he's given you power for this hour to overcome that tempter and to overcome the world. Don't leave out here today unless you are clothed with power don't say you don't need his gifts yes you do people are depending on you you never know the next time you're going to pray for someone that has an evil spirit my parents needed the gifts of the spirit so that when I got saved in their house they could cast out spirits out of my life you don't know that person that you're talking to what they got going on you need power in the name of Jesus, and he gives it. So to respect you and to respect our church, we will not now turn this in to something you feel uncomfortable with. We will dismiss, and if you have questions, we will have Jared, an elder, please, would you move to the back there so that he can be in the lobby to meet with you today. But for those who are open and willing to receive and to enter in, we're going to keep going deeper in the things of God. Because we know that this is not where it ends. This is where it begins. I'm believing God that he's going to pour out his spirit on the nations. He's got a plan for the 1040 window. He's going to pour out his spirit in Asia, in Latin America. He's going to pour out his spirit in Africa. He's going to pour out his spirit in Europe, across the United States. Fuego, fuego, fuego de Dios. In the name, in the name of Jesus, fire of the Lord come. Father, we ask you to bless those who need to go. We ask that you will continue to speak your word to them. Bless this congregation and fill us with your power in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.